Oh, right, oh, right. How are you, bud? Hope you're doing fine and ready for some NHL talk since today's episode is going to be reserved for the free agency as we go through the most noteworthy signings by each team and see which players are still hanging around the markets looking for their next deployment destinations. Last week we covered the other half of the offseason as we went through all the major trades of the young offseason and took a look at this year's NHL entry draft which saw some drama so if you haven't checked out that episode yet I would greatly advise you to do so since everything that didn't fit into this episode is going to be presented in the previous one and if you're looking for a full coverage of this year's offseason these two episodes are the ones you don't want to miss so take a quick listen to that episode while you're at it. Last week's episode stretched to over 70 minutes so this week we aim to keep things a bit shorter so don't expect to see similar firework display as last week but as you know me at this point I can't guarantee anything but hopefully we will make it out alive before the full hour or at least that's where I'm aiming today. At this point I want to tell you once again that guest episodes are inbound not clear timetable set for those yet but once you put those notifications on, follow the podcast on the platform you are using and make sure to follow the podcast's IG page. I'm more than sure that you are not going to miss those once they come out and because some of you have been asking about them, I wanted to make sure that those are not just in the rear view mirror but also part of the future. So at this point, patience is the only thing I'm asking from you. But that's pretty much the intro for today. Let's just blast off the intro and get ourselves comfortable for this week's service. So, without further ado, let's get going. And off we go. We are only a month into offseason and just like last year, it's been a pretty hectic one where players have changed zip codes and still some big names remain unsigned. So today we are going to take a closer look where these players have gone and with what price tags. We also saw a few big trades since the last episode, so we will start the episode by going over those and then move on and check team by team the signings that they've done so far. Since the Pens were able to resign both Letang and Malkin by some miracle, they were now facing some cap problems and started to deal with this issue by trading away two pieces from their blue line. First, it was time for John Marino to pack his bags and move to New Jersey and in return the Pens relieved 4.4 million to their cap space and acquired 2023 third rounder alongside former first round pick Ty Smith from the Devils. And as you can probably tell, the Pens lost a major piece from the right side and seemed to be the loser in this deal, but right after that move they fixed the hole left by Marino as they acquired veteran defenseman Jeff Petrie from Montreal alongside centerman Ryan Paling, while Mike Matheson and 2023 fourth rounder were headed to the other direction. And it's gotta be said that I was pretty intrigued by these moves when they were announced because as we know, the Pens are trying to make their last push towards the Stanley Cup and their tight cap situation forced them to think about adjustments and thus these moves make sense at least for me. And they are certainly not done making moves since their blue line is still extremely crowded so you can expect to see a few more moves as the offseason progresses. 
And when it comes to pieces on the move, this makes sense short term since Petrie has showed his level in the postseason and his dependable top four option on the blue line who can rack up minutes. But last year, he started to show some flashes of aging, so the Pens fans are probably hoping that he continues where he left off at the end of the last season, as he was able to pick up the slack and put up points for the Habs as they cruise to the offseason. He most likely will be a very good asset for the Pens as he has sound two-way game and of course is a right-handed option who can be utilized on both special teams but most likely they are going to feel the effects of Marino's absence in just few years once their blue line starts to age even more. Paling on the other hand hasn't been able to cement his spot in the NHL yet and has pretty much been just an elevator player for the Habs for a couple of years now after his stunning breakout to the NHL. He has good frame and solid two-way game and will most likely top out as a top 9 option and I could see him locking up some minutes in the bright lights if the Pens struggle with injuries next season. So hopefully he's able to make his breakthrough to the NHL ice since I was hoping for him to become our second slash third line center once he was drafted 25th overall by the Habs. But his skating has been his biggest weakness and has probably prolonged his breakout to the NHL. All in all, the Pens receive a very serviceable forward who can be slotted either on the wing or at center to the bottom six. And somewhat same story fits Ty Smith as well, who has now spent two full seasons in the NHL but hasn't shined the way many expected when he was drafted 17th overall by the Devils in 2018. He was seen as a good puck-moving blue liner who could put up north of 50 points per season and the real concern for him was his defensive game and that has really dragged down his potential since joining the NHL in 2020. He isn't the biggest player on the ice and while his skating prevents him from being a total liability in the defensive zone, the shortcomings defensively are at times noticeable and his plus-minus columns tells the story while keeping in mind the fact that the Devils have been bottom feeders in the NHL through the past couple of seasons. His offensive numbers haven't quite reached his junior levels and last year's point total was probably a big blow for the Brass in New Jersey and thus they were willing to part ways with him when they heard what the return was going to be for his services. The Devils have Luke Hughes coming up their ranks so they are probably expecting him to fill Smith's role on their blue line and couple other names are waiting for their chances to break into the NHL as well so I fully understand why they were willing to give up on this project. Hopefully though he's able to focus on his offensive game in Steel City since as we know they have very dependable defensive options on their blue line so Smith should benefit from their defensive structure if he finds his offensive spark. From the Devils perspective they pretty much replaced P.K. Zuban from their blue line with this move, who is currently a free agent and although Marino's projection has dwindled down from his first season in Pittsburgh, he has become a very steady defensive option on the blue line, who can put up north of 20 points per season and with this move the Devils are hoping to fortify their blue line with more defensive-minded options and in my mind Marino fits that void just perfectly. They still have Dougie Hamilton and Damon Severson on the right side, so at least in my mind, this is a big step up from Zuban and his former 9 million cap hit. Montreal as well gains from this trade, since Matheson is coming off a career year point-wise, and fits the scheme that their front office has started to build, which depends on speed and skill, so 
I'm hoping that we see the same guy on our blue line next year. But the fear is that since the young team is most likely going to be one of the worst teams in the conference, his play is going to experience a hit in the process as well. But at least I like him as a player and he has seemingly now found his game on both ends of the ice. So at least that's promising. It hurts to lose Petrie, but he's 34 after all and has still three years remaining in his 6.25 million contract. So I think it was a wise move to ship him elsewhere at this point because the Habs are not competing and he earns his shot at the Stanley Cup, whether that is in Steel City or somewhere else eventually. Similar to Pittsburgh, Columbus was facing some cap problems after a few off-season signings, which we will get into later in this episode. They had to ship out some cap and the sacrificial victim of that ended up becoming Danish goal scorer Oliver Bjorkstrand. He has well posted career high numbers last year as he recorded 28 goals and 29 assists in 80 games and most certainly benefited from Patrick Laine's absence but now he gets to prove his worth again in Seattle who only gave up 2023 3rd and 4th rounders to acquire the right-handed goal scorer. I was surprised by the return since Bjorkstrand has only seen his stock rising during the past two seasons as his point totals have increased but seemingly his current contract which has a modified no movement clause and the current financial state of the Blue Jackets hindered the return quite drastically. He has become proven top six option who is a real threat on the power play so in Seattle's point of view this was a great deal and he will bring a scoring upside to West Coast who struggled immensely with production last year so this move should prevent that from happening again next year to at least some extent. And while some would probably say that the Jackets lost a lot in this deal especially when looking at the return they got I wouldn't worry too much about it since they already have a stacked line of players coming up their ranks and the top 9 is starting to look pretty crowded thanks to their recent draft picks so even though they lost one of their top 6 options in this deal he will most likely be replaced within the next two seasons and they also had to find a way to find space for their prospects so in my mind with this move GM Kekalainen looked at the big picture and realized that this was the piece they were willing to give up in order to push their young bucks to their lineup who will be the beneficiaries at the end of it. So after all I would say this was a winning move for both parties even though at first Seattle will seem as the big winner here but the aftermath of this deal on Blue Jackets side will be counted during the following year so we will wait to see what the outcome is going to eventually be. And last but certainly not least we have a deal that I'm still shocked about which concluded between Calgary Flames and the Florida Panthers and quite honestly this has to be one of the bigger trades of the 21st century by far. I think no one was expecting a move of this magnitude and hats off for both GMs for orchestrating this deal because it came pretty much out of nowhere even though one of the guys in this deal had stated that he was not going to resign with their former team and this eventually nudged this thing into motion. So, the details of this deal. From Calgary, Matthew Kachuk and 2025 conditional fourth rounder in exchange for Jonathan Huberdo, McKinsey Weger, Cole Swind, and a lottery protected 2025 first round pick. Yep, that just happened and I know I'm in shock as well. 
I don't recall the last time so many players with such presence were included in a same deal. And although we've seen some big names on the move this summer, this beats them six out of five times. So I think we need to go more in depth in this major blockbuster deal. So which factors eventually caused this deal to happen? On Calgary's side, the major letdown in the playoffs, Johnny Hockey's departure, and the fact that Matthew Kajak had announced that he was not going to sign long term with the Flames. Florida as well was suffering from heart-aching playoff loss to their rival Tampa Bay Lightning, and they were looking to revamp some of their roster in the aftermath of another disappointing playoff run. Well, they got exactly what they wanted in this deal. A rugged power forward with elite scoring touch around the net, with small concern about his skating, and gave up their best winger offensively, and one of their blue line leaders who both seriously underperformed during their postseason run. They are in their cup window and look to add spice to their top line, which they've been lacking, and I think that there are only couple equal players that could fit the same mold that Ketchuk represents in the current NHL. Calgary, on the other hand, got another elite piece to their blue line in Uyghur and replaced Ketchuk with proven point producer who will also fit alongside Elias Lindholm, who has become their first line goal scorer. They lost two key pieces this offseason in Goudreau and Ketchuk, which is going to be a hard pill to swallow, so we will see if they can manage to put up offensive numbers with the way they were last season, because their top two best point producers have now departed while they've assembled one of the stronger decors in the league on paper after the acquisition of Mackenzie Weger. It's hard not to like this deal for both sides since, as I said, Ketchuk will bring that sandpaper finish to Florida's first line, while Huberdo will try to find chemistry in Calgary with his new line mates to produce with the same pace he did last season, while Weger has proved his worth as one of the elite two-way defensemen in this league, who will bolster their blue line even more without questions. But the postseason success is the decider here, since both teams are looking to overcome the hump they couldn't pass this year and added to that, both Uyghur and Huberto will become free agents next summer, so Calgary will have another obstacle to overcome once the next offseason rolls around, or in fact, even before that if possible. Ketchak was then signed to an 8-year deal, carrying a 9.5 million cap hit, so Florida saved some money in this deal as well, as both Uyghur and Hubie would have probably looked to add a few zeros to their checks, so this deal was thought through the long-term lens as well. I'm extremely eager to see how Florida does after this deal, since they've had to cut down their roster quite a bit from last season, and thus other players need to step up if they dream of a similar regular season as last year. I'm not expecting similar outcome and they are most likely going to make some moves at the deadline. And same thing goes with Calgary, now that they've lost two major contributors from their lineup. So it's going to be interesting to see how Pacific's number one team is able to manage the expectations after such a successful regular season. But what more can I really say, the outcome of this deal will be measured next season and the big thing here is to see if Calgary is able to hold on to these two when knowing the fact that players haven't been too keen on signing their long term, so we'll see what eventually happens. 
those were the deals that went down in between these two episodes. So next we are going to go through the offseason signings team by team. And I know that this might end up being pretty exhausting part to listen, but I'll try to make it as enjoyable as possible. There were tons of signings, so we are going to skip the not so essential ones, but all the noteworthy signings will be included at least in my point of view. So go get yourself something to drink, because we are going to be here for a while. And once you've done that, get ready for bombardment of names and numbers for the remainder of this episode. So, Lego. Starting with the Anaheim Ducks, as we usually do, and they made a few key signings to patch up holes in their lineup. First one being the second line center spot because of Ryan Getzlaff's retirement. Player who was acquired to fill that void was Ryan Strom, who was signed to a 5-year, five, 5 million deal. And since he handled that role in the Rangers uniform, I'm not expecting anything to change once he arrives to West Coast. He's a good dependable center with solid production capability, who will begin to guide their young bucks to the right path in the NHL and will be one of the veteran voices in their locker room, alongside Adam Henrique, Jacob Silverberg, Kim Fowler and... Kevin Shattenkirk. And one of the more controversial moves by them this offseason was not to resign their left-wing option Sonny Milano, who they ended up replacing with Frank Vetrano, who was inked to a three-year sheet with 3.65 cap hit, so could have done a whole lot worse in my view. Milano's production fell off a cliff at the end of the last season, so Ducks management probably noticed that and wanted to acquire more surefire option to their top nine since Milano has been struggling with consistency on the next level and that was one of the reasons why the Jackets let him go just few years prior. After those moves, it was time to re-sign some of their younger core members, as Urho Vakanainen and Isaac Lundström both were into a two-year extension, so both guys will stay in California for a few more seasons, at least contract-wise. Lundström has been steadily improving his game and has cemented his spot in their top 9, while Valkanainen is still searching for a few more gears to his game but has shown promise in his stints in the NHL. And now with increased role in Anaheim, I can only expect him to improve once the next season starts. And as the last signing, the Ducks put out the big bucks as they acquired the right-handed blue line pivot, John Klingberg to their back end, who will slot nicely in their top four alongside either Cam Fowler or one of their younger left side D-men. He signed a one-year $7 million deal, so either that leaves room for the Ducks to negotiate a possible extension, or in the worst case, this deal enables the Ducks to move in on the deadline for great assets if they are not in the playoff race next year. Arizona, on the other hand, has just patched holes in their cap space by acquiring leftover contracts and signing fill-in players to the roster to get themselves over the cap floor. These include Troy Stetcher, Nick Bukestad and Josh Brown, while contract extensions have gone to Cam Dineen and Christian Fisher. And lastly, they also signed their 11th overall pick, Connor Geeky, to a 3-year entry-level deal. But that's all for the Yotes, so no big changes as we could expect. Boston as well has been extremely quiet this offseason as the only notable contract move on their behalf has been Jack Stutnik's two-year extension, and it is most likely because of their current cap situation. While the biggest worry within the organization now is the health of Marshan and McAvoy, who are going to miss significant time due to their injuries. 
Also, they are waiting for David Krejci's comeback decision. So even though they've been extremely silent this summer, some moves could be ahead before the season starts because their future is in flux as David Pasternak has already brought out the possibility of scenery change. And Patrice Bergeron is most likely playing his last season with the organization if he signs. So it's going to be a big year for the Bees on many fronts. And since we are on a roll, why not add another one into the mix since the Buffalo Sabres as well have had pretty uneventful offseason thus far, which has mostly only consisted of re-signings mixed in with few minor deals. One more year man himself, Craig Anderson had decided to go at it one more time and inked a 1.5 million extension with the Sabres. Jacob Bryson was inked to a two-year contract with 1.85 million cap hit. Malcolm Subban earned himself a one-year extension and the last two players who will continue their careers in Buffalo are Vinny Hinestrosa, who signed a one-year extension with 1.7 million cap hit. And finally, Victor Olofsson was the last one currently who put the pen on the paper, which had 4.75 million annual cap hit for the next two years. The signings thus far have been Ilya Lubushkin and Eric Comrie, because basically the Sabres just can't have enough goaltenders. Lubushkin was signed to a two-year paper carrying a 2.75 million cap hit and Comrie signed his first big boy contract for two years with 1.8 million cap hit. So not huge deals by any means but the Sabres are building within and thus don't have to throw money around during the free agency and hopefully we will get to see the results of that during the next few seasons. At least few could expect that. Calgary has certainly made a dent to NHL's offseason track record with their deal which we spoke about earlier but on the signing side the pace hasn't been the same as they pretty much just signed depth options and re-signed a few of their core members. They started the offseason by acquiring Kevin Rooney from the Rangers and inked him to a two-year deal carrying a 1.3 million cap hit, while their other free agent signing so far has been Nicholas Milok, who was signed to a one-year contract carrying a 950k cap hit, so can't say that the signings have been same caliber as their trades. Trevor Lewis was signed to a one-year extension and Nikita Zadorov will remain in Calgary for the next two seasons with 3.75 million cap hit. While the minor signings by them were Dennis Gilbert and Oscar Dance, but those guys will most likely suit up for the Stockton Heat of the AHL, so they are going to serve as elevator players between the leagues and just had to be mentioned at this point. But like I said, it's going to be an interesting year for the Flames and I'm not expecting many other moves by them before the season starts. But because there seems to be some kind of leak in Calgary currently, I can't guarantee you that nothing will change before the first puck drop. And as we know, the Canes have been pretty busy on the trade front, but just like Calgary, the signings haven't followed that trend. And the only free agent signings for them have been Andre Kashe, Willem Lagesen and Ryan Zingle. All guys signed to one-year contracts and pretty much add depth to their lineup, so I don't see much to speculate about with these deals. Chicago, though, has been revamping their roster again this offseason, and I can only imagine that Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, alongside newly signed Seth Jones, are not too thrilled about their current heading, and I would be surprised if all of these guys would remain in Chicago after the All-Star break or the trade deadline at the latest. But they've made few signings, so let's get into those. 
Both Max Domi and Andres Athanasiu were signed to one-year deals carrying a 3 million cap hit. Colin Blackwell was into a two-year deal with 1.2 million cap hit, while both Alex Taylock and Buddy Robinson were signed to one-year minimum wage deals. And that's all they've done thus far. And when looking at their current roster, you can't see many bright spots other than their few young guns who will be suiting up for them next season. And the recent signings are in a situation where they can pretty much only increase or critically decrease their values. And since they have next to nothing to work with, it's hard to predict which of these will be the outcome for these guys next season. Domi could be a major contributor in their top six if he gets to play alongside Patty Kane and could improve his offensive numbers drastically and might earn his next big paycheck next offseason in the aftermath. But I think we've already seen Athanasius ceiling, so I won't be expecting too much from either of these guys as the Blackhawks start their journey to draft the next franchise-changing player, Connor Bedard, to their team. Miserable season up ahead, so just prepare yourselves, Hawks fans if you haven't done so already. Colorado's task this offseason has been to try to hold on to as many players from their cup-winning team as possible, and even though they've lost few moderate pieces from their lineup, they've been able to cling on to most guys while also replacing their starting goaltender in the process. Andrew Cogliano was the first player to stay in the Mile High City, as he signed a one-year extension with 1.25 million cap hit, then it was time to ink down their next box stopper, Alexander Georgiev, as he was signed to a three-year contract carrying a 3.4 million AAV. Then they locked down one of their key playoff performers, Valerie Nichushkin, for the next eight years with 6.125 cap hit, and the last remaining dollars went to Joss Manson, four years, 4.5 million, Darren Helm, one year, 1.25 million, and lastly, Arturi Lehkonen was into a five-year extension, carrying a 4.5 million annual cap hit. They've heavily pursued Nazem Kadri as he decided to test the free agency, but no decision has been made yet, so he remains as a free agent, and we'll see if Joe Sakic is able to reel him back to Colorado, since he was a major piece of their lethal top six. Columbus as well has spread the love when it comes to dollars, and the whole operation started on June 7th, when they re-signed Jack Roslovich to a two-year extension carrying a 4 million cap hit. He has showed that he has the ability to play in their top six, and in the worst case, if Cole Sillinger and Kent Johnson are locked to their top six, he will be more than serviceable third-line option who can play on the wing if need be. The only concern on his part is his defensive game, so the third-line center spot wouldn't be the optimal outcome, but... He has still some upside and this could be a big year for him if he gets to play in their top six. And just remember that I mentioned this. Also, their top four blue liner Adam Boquist earned himself his first big boy deal as he signed three-year extension with the Jackets with 2.6 million cap hit, which could become a steal if he finds another level to his offense and starts to climb towards the top end of the offensive D-man in the league. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened already next year with the way Jackets have invested in their future this year. So these two names are the ones you need to look out for beside the other young guys on their roster. But then it was really time to put some zeros down because next on the line were their first free agent signings. 
Eric Branson and the man himself, Johnny Goodrow, the big haul of the offseason. Branson deal was a major head-scratcher for me and many others who pay close attention to the league since the veteran blue liner was inked to a four-year, yes, four-year sentence with four million cap hit. His agent must have been pissing honey when that deal was signed. I mean, he had a strong season in Calgary last year, but did it really force you to sign him to that kind of deal? And if so, I would love to hear the argument for that, because just a couple of years ago, he was bought out by the Canucks from a similar deal, and the guy is already 30 years old, so he ain't getting any younger. I get that this year's free agent blue line options were pretty awful ones, but still this screams an albatross to me, even if you would garnish it with whipped cream and sprinkles. I'm already looking towards a buyout, but for now let's just forget about this deal and focus on the big fish that was caught by their GM Kekalainen. Johnny Hockey is heading to Columbus against all odds. Since before the signing was announced, it was rumored that Philly, Islanders, Blues and Devils were the teams involved in the sweepstakes, but lo and behold, here came the Jackets and swooped the biggest free agent target under their wing. 9.75 million for the next 7 years was the price that it took, and according to rumors, Goudreau left a lot on the table when it comes to his salary, but... Seemingly the Blue Jackets projection intrigued him to sign long term with one of the upcoming franchises in the NHL. So does this mean that the Jackets are going to find their spot in the playoffs right away? That's certainly not a guarantee yet, because the reconstruction of their current core is still in the works, but this move definitely enhances their chances, and still they need to shed some cap before the season starts, so... We will come back to this topic once the rosters are being finalized later on during the fall. This almost had the same magnitude as the Calgary-Florida trade since not many saw this coming, especially since they were not rumored to be in the mix when it came to Goodrow's next destination. Well, nevertheless, as you can probably tell, this is a major step towards contention for the Jackets and I'm really glad that they can finally attract top talent to their ranks after a few slump seasons on that front. Great addition for the Jackets, and I'm more than excited to see how the partnership between Johnny Hockey and Patrick Kleine will eventually work out. 50 Genos, maybe in sight. Maybe. Well, we'll see what happens. And oh yeah, they also signed Laine to a four-year extension with 8.7 million cap hit, so it seems as they are making sure that he's going nowhere now that they've got him, his elite playmaker. Dallas has had pretty uneventful offseason thus far, since they have to find room to sign both Jake Ottinger and Jason Robertson to extensions. So for them, the only signings this summer have been Mason Marchman and Colin Miller. Marchman was signed to a pleasant 4-year 4.5 million deal, while Miller will earn 1.85 million for the next two seasons in Texas. Also, Scott Wedgwood was brought back to their crease for the next two seasons with 2 million cap hit. And finally, Denis Gurianov was extended for the next season for 2.9 million. 
they got their core in place and were flirting with a playoff spot last year so seemingly they think that their core is strong enough to compete again next year in the west once they've resigned their two young studs Robertson and Odinger. Detroit on the other hand has probably been the busiest team of the offseason thus far as they've now signed eight players to fill their next year's roster. The names include Husso, Kopp, Charat, Kubalik, Peron, Pisic, Matta and Haig. They started their operation by trading for Husso's rights and after that signed him to a three-year extension worth 4.75 annually. Then it was time for the free agent signings where Andrew Kopp was inked to a five-year contract carrying a 5.625 million AAV. Ben Sherrod was signed to a four-year deal worth 4.75 annually overpayment but once again the possibilities were scarce. Dominic Kubelik was signed to a two-year 2.5 million deal. Veteran David Perron came to Detroit with two-year 4.75 million sheet. Mark Pizik and Robert Haig earned one-year 800,000-ish deals. And finally Olli Matta was signed to their back end for the next year with 2.25 million cap hit. And as you can see the core is starting to take its shape. Some of their top prospects are slowly making their way to the NHL ice. And I expect Jonathan Berggren to fight for a spot in their top 9 next year. So he will need to dethrone one of their top 9 options. But with these moves the Wings are making themselves even more competitive. And already last year they showed that they are capable of challenging the top teams in the league on nightly basis. And with the added experience they should be even bigger threat for the teams in the East than what they were already last year. It is starting to feel like the rebuild is finally coming to its end and the pieces they acquired this offseason will really boost this team's odds when talking about their chances of clinching a playoff spot but you also have to remember that some teams need to slip down in order for that to happen so all in all these moves make them much more competitive and we just have to see how this mix of youth and experience will gel once the game start this fall. Excited for their future and this upcoming season will already show how far they've really come related to last regular season. Edmonton has only made few moves but those have been pretty major ones when looking at their current state and the names that I'm referring to are Evander Kane, Jack Campbell, Brett Kulak and Matthias Janmark. It's easy to understand why the Oils were keen on resigning Kane after his last season's performance. And now he is locked in for the next four years with 5.125 million annual cap hit. He seemed to fit well into their top six and showed off his scoring capability and especially showed that he's able to play with Connor McDavid on their first line, which enables the Oils to play Drysaddle on their second line to spread the scoring burden. Kulak was a steady presence on their back end and now that Duncan Keith is gone from their blue line, his role will only increase and during the past few seasons he has become a very solid top 4 option after manning the blue line for the Habs alongside Jeff Petrie. He's a tremendous two-way demon who can be trusted on both special teams and the 2.75 million contract for the next four years is a bargain if you ask me. Matthias Janmark will also bring his speed and two-way ability to their bottom six and the biggest of them all was the Jack Campbell signing, especially now that Mike Smith might be done for good and Koskinen is already out of the continent, his services are going to be needed 
and he needs to be their X-Factor in goal if they want to challenge for the cup in the coming years. He will earn $5 million for the next 5 years and even though this deal was bit of a gamble in a sense that he's had some consistency issues which are related to injuries but after all he has posted great numbers through the past two years so the Oils felt that they had to jump in and grab this blue paint protector once the Leafs announced his availability before the free agency period. To me there really haven't been bad deals on their part this offseason and I believe that these moves are only going to make them stronger and I wouldn't be surprised if they took the first place in the division now that the Flames are a question mark because of their recent moves. They still have to make room to their cap space because of James Neal and Andre Sekera's buyouts so this is one of those teams that is not yet done with the deals so we wait to see who ends up leaving the oil country before the season starts. When it comes to Panthers, they've seen a lot of movement, mostly because of their tight cap situation and some of their core members have departed in the aftermath, plus the blockbuster that we just spoke about. They are still over 3.3 million over the cap limit, so few moves could be anticipated before the season starts. And since their top 6 is pretty much locked in, they've only had to strengthen their bottom 6 this summer. And the names they've signed include Mark Stahl, Colin White, Nick Cousins, and Rudolf Spalsers. And also Eric Stahl was signed to a professional tryout, but until he makes the team, that's going to be just a news piece. Interesting here is the fact that both Balsers and White were bought out by their previous teams just a few weeks earlier, and the Panthers came in and grabbed both of them as free agents. Both Stahl and Balsers were inked to minimum deals, while White's contract runs through the next season with 1.2 million AAV, and Cousins' contract is for the next two years with 1.1 million cap hit. In addition to that, my boy Ed Luostarinen was signed to a two-year extension with 1.5 million AAV, so big shout out to him for signing his first Gucci level deal as well. Mark Stahl will bring his veteran presence to their back end, and surprisingly he was one of the better D-men in Detroit's back end last season, so while he isn't anticipated to bring a whole heck of a lot to their score sheet, He's still dependable defensive option who can play on their third pairing and not be a liability in his own end. Same goes with Cousins, who is a dependable bottom six option who can kill penalties with great efficiency. And when it comes to White and Balsers, they have some untapped potential which could easily blossom in Florida as it has for Carrie Rehage and Mason Marchment, for example, so keep your eyes on these guys once the season rolls around. This was patchwork for the Cats and now we just wait and see what they've learned during the offseason to improve upon their last postseason performance. Another strong season up ahead for the Panthers and one of the top teams in the East without questions. LA has only distributed contract extensions this summer and the beneficiaries of those have been Andrian Kempe, Carl Grundstrom, Lias Anderson, Alex Edler, Brendan Lemieux and most recently Gabe Villardi. Once again, rebuilding team that is closing on the competitive status hasn't had the need to make huge moves during the offseason and this shows on their roster. They rely on their young players and hope that the old guard can still hang with them and as I've stated multiple times before, this team is coming along nicely so no need for huge moves because they are already on the right course. The Kevin Fiala trade represented their big move this offseason 
and they are certainly going to benefit from his services but all of these signings this year have pretty much been a one or max two-year extensions with under two million cap hit so I feel like I don't need to mention those just for the sake of it. We'll see what they look like again next season, but at least I'm expecting them to compete again for a playoff spot now that their young players have had time to mature and have experienced the postseason for the first time. Another exciting team to look out for next season. Mini is in a cap crunch currently thanks to Parisis and Suter's buyouts, which can be seen in their offseason moves where they've only inked two players since the offseason started. These players have been Jacob Middleton and Marc-Andre Fleury. Middleton was inked to a three-year extension with 2.45 AAV and Flower was brought back for the next two seasons with 3.5 million cap hit. Middleton was solid for them once he arrived from San Jose and their back end is starting to get crowded where even their top prospects have to really fight for their spots in their top three pairings. I really expect Mini to make at least one more move during the offseason since like I said their blue line is really crowded currently and I think that at least one of the guys will be out before the season starts. And now that Caprizov's return is in question, it is going to be interesting to see what this team looks like when the season eventually starts. But overall, fairly uneventful offseason so far for the Wild, but don't think that these are all the moves they are going to make before October. Montreal up next, and what can you expect from a rebuilding team? If you answered, not much, you are exactly right. Key signings this offseason, Juraj Slavkovsky, three-year entry-level deal, as you could expect. Same thing with their other first-round pick, Philip Mezar, Rem Pitlick, two years, 1.1 million. And lastly, Samuel Montembeau, two years, 1 million each. End of story. Let's head to Nashville. Breds have made few investments this offseason in order to find themselves in the postseason again, and in addition to Ryan McDonough, who they acquired from Tampa Bay via trade, Zach Sanford and Nino Niederreiter are also heading to Tennessee for the upcoming season. Sanford's contract is a one-year show-me contract, while Niederreiter will stay in Music City for the next two years with 4 million cap hit. They also resigned Jeremy Luzon, who they acquired from Seattle on the deadline for the next two years with 2 million per season. And the big thing for them this summer was to extend Philip Forsberg, which they were able to do. And the Preds retained his rights for the next eight years with 8.5 million annual cap hit. This was their main task, as I said, and even though he wouldn't stay in Nashville for the next eight years, this at least gives them some capital to work with when discussing possible trades in the future. They don't have too much space in their cap space, so these could be all the moves they are going to make before the season starts. And I'm eager to see if they manage to remain competitive, and especially if Johansson and Duchesne can keep their level since they are certainly going to need that if they dream of reaching the postseason next year as well. The Devils have been wheeling and dealing this offseason, and it's no surprise that after these moves they think they have a chance to fight for a playoff spot in the East. The names arriving in New Jersey include Brendan Smith, Andre Palat, and Vitek Vanecek. Smith was signed to a two-year deal with 1.1 million AAV. Palat was grabbed from the free agency with five-year, six million cap hit. And lastly, after the trade they made with Washington, 
Vanecek joined the Devils for the next three years with 3.4 million cap hit. Smith replaces the other Smith who left to Pittsburgh. Palat will bring his responsible two-way game to their top six. And Vanecek is believed to be their 1B option behind Blackwood in the blue paint. Alongside those signings, they also extended Jonas Siegenthaler for the next five years with 3.4 million cap hit. While their second overall selection, Simon Nemec, also signed his ELC with the Devils, so things are looking brighter in Jersey each passing day. I'm not quite sure if they are ready for the postseason yet, but especially Palat's presence is going to be beneficial for them since he brings his winning pedigree to New Jersey and they probably haven't seen too much of that as of late, so I believe that they will be much more competitive next year once they get their wheels rolling. And if you anticipated the Islanders to make moves to prevent last year's outcome from happening again, you were certainly right, because these guys were the 40-year-old virgins in the strip club, just sitting in the farthest corner playing with their dicks. Or actually, that doesn't quite fit, because I just remember that they acquired Romano from the Habs, so I will promote them to one-stroke squad. And you guys know exactly what I mean. They probably thought that Trotz was the problem within the organization and the core is strong enough to get them to cup, but I would beg to differ since at this stage, at least in my mind, they are far from the top end of this league. Not Arizona far, but not Tampa or Florida level team by any stretch of the imagination. This also doesn't mean that they are done for the offseason, but I was certainly expecting some changes to happen after such a lackluster previous season. I guess we just have to wait and see what their approach is going to be for the next season, but I really do hope that something is in the works, because this team has been there for multiple seasons now, and last year showed that it might be time to refresh the core and bring in some new faces to change up the tempo within the organization. I won't hold my breath while waiting for them to make moves, and we might just come back to them just as the season starts in October, if this trend continues. The Rangers still have been somewhat active, contrary to their neighbors, but overall, they have their core in place, so there was no need to make drastic changes while the young guns grow into their roles on the next level. They resigned Julian Gauthier for the next season, and just a few days ago, Kaapokakko was into a two-year bridge deal, carrying a 2.1 million cap hit, while their free agent signings thus far have been Vincent Trocek, who replaces Ryan Strom on their second line, Jero Halak, backup forces jerking, and finally Louis Domingue and Ryan Carpenter, who were added as depth pieces for the roster. All of these deals make sense to me, and especially I love the Trojic signing since he's more of a shoot-first type of guy, so he should thrive alongside Panarin on their second line, who will find you if you just find some space in the offensive zone. While Halak is a proven veteran goaltender who can win few games for you and bring certainty to their crease, and could even improve his numbers in New York since those have been sliding recently, but there is a chance that he bounces his numbers back to where they were just a few years ago, which certainly would please the Rangers front office. So great moves all around by Drury, and I expect them to fight for the top spots in the East again next year. Big year for both Kakko and Lafreniere as well, so we wait to see how far they've come since last season. And then we arrive to Ottawa, who have been undoubtedly the top team of this offseason in my mind, 
and the moves they made this summer have really changed the expectations surrounding this franchise heading into next season. In June, they started their construction when they resigned Dylan Gambrell to a one-year deal, and once the draft was closing down, they broke the bank when they traded for Alex Debringet, but we already went through that deal, so we are just going to move on and see what else they did after the draft was over. Well, they finally acquired veteran leadership to their team on July 13th, when they signed all-Canadian boy Claude Giroux to a 6.5 million deal for the next three years. And with that, the rebuild was officially over, as they now had their top two centers for the next year. Josh Norris was locked up the next day, 8 years, 7.95, keep the change, so when I said they were locked in, I really did mean it. Oh yeah, and if Giroud decides that he wants to play the wing, no worries, they got Jimmy Stu back there as well, so it really doesn't matter which players man those center spots, cause they got options. And lastly, they resigned Matthew Joseph to a 4-year, 2.95 million deal, and with the way he was able to end the last season, I can only expect a career year from him next season in Ottawa, and we might be seeing similarities to Marchman and Verhage, who were able to blossom once they changed scenery, because he has the tools to become a very capable scoring option for their top 9, if he gets the playing time. So keep a close eye on him as well, as this team in general. The Flyers have made few moves this summer, some more questionable than others, but unlike the Isles, they at least have done something, and in fact, now that I think about it, that might even be the exact reason why they are in the cellar of this league. The big bomb for them was the trade involving Tony D'Angelo, who they later signed to a two-year deal with 5 million AAB, and as I mentioned, this is as pure boom or bust move as I've ever seen. Their new head coach Torch already praised his game on national television, but he hasn't played any games for him yet, and we know the deal surrounding both guys, so like I said in the previous episode, I'm not too excited about this deal when looking at their current situation. Sparks are going to fly, there's no question about that, and it seems like the team is desperately trying to nudge the whole circus towards better success in the regular season, but unfortunately, I don't think that is the way to go in their current situation. It also doesn't help when you sign guys like Nicola Delorier to a 4-year deal carrying a 1.75 AAB. So at this point I would start the nudging from the top so that someone could get some kind of sense of their future projection because this really reminds me of Bergevin's time in Montreal where he was just trying to quick fix leaks rather than start to work the problems like Kent Hughes did once he arrived in Montreal. He planned out the script and started to execute rather than just being all over the place and going nowhere because of it. So yeah, I haven't been really impressed by their moves recently and I think that this team is going to find themselves from the bottom of this league rather soon if this keeps on going because it ain't looking too bright currently for the franchise, but at least they would be closer to drafting Connor Bedard, so in that sense the situation could be worse. Oh yeah, and in addition to those signings, they also brought back Justin Braun for the next year with 1.75 AAB and resigned Morgan Frost to one year 800k deal and also Owen Tippett for the next two years with 1.5 million cap hit. But that's all I have to say about the Flyers today. But expect to hear more rants about this franchise in the future because this thing is really starting to spiral out of hand uncontrollably 
So we'll see how things turn out once Jean Couturier makes his comeback to their lineup. For the Penguins, it's been a pretty hectic offseason as we anticipated. Players moving, players arriving, and few guys that were resigned. So their GMs have had their hands full for the entire summer, I can promise you that. Miraculously, they were able to somewhat keep the gang intact as they were able to resign both Malkin and Latang, while they also extended Rika Drakel, Denton Heinen, and most recently their Finnish representative Kasperi Kapanen. Malkin agreed to a four-year deal with 6.1 million salary. Latang signed for six years with the same dollar value. Raquel was extended for the next six years with 5 million AAV. Heinen remains in Pittsburgh with one-year 1 million deal. And Cappy was signed to a two-year extension worth 3.2 million annually. In addition, they resigned their top defensive prospect Pierre-Oliver Joseph for the next two years. And signed free agents Jan Ruda, three years, 2.75 per. Jos Archibald, one year 900k, and finally Drake Kajula, one year 750k. But they are still roughly 1.5 million over the cap, so someone is going to be out before the season starts. And it's going to be interesting to see who it is since the Jack Johnson buyout is still biting them in the ass cap-wise. They acquired Tokarski to their crease, so I think that they are at least trying to get rid of the Smith's contract. Or offensively. Brock McGinn or Jason Zucker could be options that might be heading out, but we'll see who ends up getting the short end of the stick in this case. The Pens are starting their final push towards the cup, and you can sense the desperation that reigns within the franchise, but that is totally understandable, since the core has been there for so long, and Sid is most likely going to start to feel the effects of aging quite soon, so... This might be their last chance to take one more run at the cup with this core. The Sharks as well have signed some deals, but overall they've not been any major ones thanks to their cap situation. But nevertheless, let's go over the players that have arrived to California. Oscar Lindblom, who was earlier bought out by the Flyers, was signed to a two-year 2.5 million deal. Matt Benning was acquired to their blue line and signed a four-year 1.25 million deal. Stanley Cup champion Nico Sturm earned himself a three-year 2 million deal. Marcos Nutivara was signed for the next season with 1.5 million cap hit. Newly acquired Luke Kunin was into a two-year 2.75 million deal. And lastly, they resigned their goaltender Kaapo Kahkonen to a two-year 2.75 million deal. So as you can see, no major signings made by the Sharks, which at least I wasn't expecting. But what next season is going to bring them is a big question mark on its own. Since, as I've stated, the core is aging and they really haven't been on the top end of the Pacific Division throughout the past two seasons. So another mid-table finish is most likely up ahead for this franchise. We'll see if Carlson benefits from the extra ice time, if he's even able to play. But other than that, not huge expectations set for this franchise, at least on my part. Seattle, on the other hand, has been quite busy and the roster is slowly coming along after their last year's emergence to the league. Their signings include Carson Kuhlman, one year, 825k, Andre Burakovsky, five years, 5.5 million AAV, first round pick Shane Wright, three year ELC, Martin Jones, one year, 2 million, Morgan Geeky, one year, 1.4 million, Michael Kempney, one year, 750k. And finally, they resigned Ryan Donato for the next season with 1.2 million annual cap hit. 
Martin Jones signing was the most intriguing one since they already have two goalies up top, which frankly underperformed last season, but still. Now they got three goaltenders signed to one-way contracts, so we'll see what the situation is going to be once the season kicks off. Borakovsky was a great signing by them, since now he gets the first line ice time most likely. And with a career year in his back pocket, he could establish a great partnership with newly acquired Oliver Bjorkstrand. And even though I'm not expecting similar numbers from his past season, he could still stay above the 50-point mark if all goes to plan, so the Kraken will benefit from his services without questions. Wright will most likely make his debut in the bright lights next year, and we'll see if he stays up since the Kraken now have pretty stacked top 9, and that seems to have been their focus all along, but nevertheless, with the partnership of Wright and Beniers, you should be set for years to come when it comes to center ice. I expect them to improve upon last year, and even though they might not fight with the big dogs of the conference next season, they are most likely going to cause a lot of headaches, and the aim for them is to start creating the core for this team around their first round selections. And the first signs are already there for that, so Ronnie Franchise will make sure that the process doesn't end here, and keeps on growing the excitement around the newest NHL franchise. St. Louis's offseason has pretty much gone according to expectations and we've mostly just seen extensions upon extensions from this team to this point. Robert Thomas earned himself a nice big fat juicy 8-year extension with 8.125 million annual cap hit. Nicoletti was signed to a 4-year extension with 4 million cap hit. Thomas Grice was acquired to replace Husso from their crease with 1-year 1.25 AAV and with similar paper, Nola Jari arrived in St. Louis to strengthen their bottom six even more. Scott Perunovic, Clint Costin and Nathan Walker were assigned to one-year extensions. And lastly, one of our honorary guests, Mr. Nico Mikkola, was signed to one-year, 1.9 million deal. So big pay raise for my guy as well. And as I've stated, the team is in good shape currently. So there has not been a need for drastic changes at this point. And I think that's enough said, so let's continue to Tampa Bay. Similar pattern suits the Bolts as well, since once again they went to the finals, but this time Colorado broke the hopes of winning their third straight Stanley Cup in a row. Extensions have been on the table in Tampa Bay for many guys, and like Thomas in St. Louis, a couple of their young core members earned their next big paychecks this offseason, so let's go over the deals that they've made thus far. First playoff performer Nick Ball was signed to a 7-year extension with 3.15 AAV. Then the big deal started to roll in. Mihal Sergachev, 8 years, 8.6 million. Anthony Cirelli, 8 years, 6.25 million. And lastly, Eric Chernak, 8 years, 5.2 million AAV. In addition, they signed Ian Cole to their back end with 1-year, 3 million deal. Vladislav Namesnikov returned to Tampa with one-year 2.5 million deal. And finally, Hayden Fleury was signed to a two-year contract, carrying a 762k AAV. Brisbois certainly made sure that those guys were going nowhere, and the other signings were essential since few of their guys were headed elsewhere after the season was over. And I guess nobody at this point could anticipate this team to drop out of the playoff picture, so... To me, it is quite obvious what the expectations for the next season are once again for the franchise. Top guys are still there, 
depth is in place on all fronts and Vasi is still between the pipes so you don't have to be Einstein to figure out their goal for the upcoming season. One of the top teams in the East once again but not an eventful offseason on the free agency front but currently they are still over 7 million over the cap ceiling so some moves could be expected before they begin their hunt for another Stanley Cup. Killern could be the odd man out but don't tell anyone I said this. Toronto on the other hand has seen some changes since the last season and they've restructured their bottom six and goaltending during this offseason. Timothy Liljegren was the first guy who was brought back with two-year 1.4 million cap hit. Then they acquired their other piece to their goalie tandem as they signed Ilya Samsonov to a one-year 1.8 million deal. Then next up was the notorious cup destroyer Nicolas Albicubel who was headed to Toronto with one-year 1 million cap hit. And after that they signed Adam Gaudet, Victor Mette and Jordi Ben to one-year deals with minimum cap hit. And the final two deals for them were the resigning of Pierre Engvall to one-year 2.25 deal and the signing of Kala Yarncroft to a four-year 2.1 million contract. So same rules pretty much apply to Toronto as they did to Tampa Bay where the depth has been the focus point. And of course Toronto has revamped their goaltending tandem but those have been their key focuses during the offseason. It's going to be interesting to see how the duo Samsonov-Murray handles the pressure in Toronto since both have slipped pretty far from the expectations and those certainly won't decrease in Toronto so these moves might be the last draw for GM Dubas if they once again fail in their efforts and one more year is wasted from Austin Matthews' and Mitch Marner's contracts. The focus hasn't changed, the regular season is going to be another breeze for them if goaltending holds and the real challenge begins in the postseason so I think we will leave the speculation for the season previews. They are currently over the cap ceiling, not by much though, but at least one player might be heading elsewhere so expect to see Toronto's name in the trade column before the season starts. Overall interesting moves and we'll see how bad they end up being once the first buck has been dropped. Currently Vancouver sits over 2.7 million over the cap ceiling and their biggest moves so far have pretty much been Brock Besser's three-year extension and the signings of Curtis Lazar, Ilya Mihaev and the KHL wonderboy Andrei Kuzmenko. Besser was signed to a three-year 6.65 cap hit, Lazar inked a three-year 1 million contract, Mikhaev was signed to a four-year 4.75 AAV and finally Kuzmenko was signed to his one-year entry-level deal. I like the Mikhaev signing since he has been tremendous two-way force for the Leafs and they just couldn't hold on to him because of their own cap situation and I believe that he will succeed in Vancouver where the expectations are not as high as in Toronto and he will certainly bring his defensive prowess to their middle six which has been somewhat lacking from the Canucks during the past few seasons. Same goes with Lazar who is a tremendous two-way guy in the bottom six and will bring his sandpaper to their fourth line and will be the key name on the penalty kill as well alongside Mihaev. I have moderate expectations for Kuzmenko because we've seen both endings for these Russian stories but if he shines in Vancouver expect to see them in the playoff conversation since their forward core is starting to be quite stacked where they have skill all over the lineup and while the blue line could be much better it could be a hell of a lot worse as well so overall I like their signings and expect to see different Canucks team next season 
who might challenge for a playoff spot in the West. Next up is Vegas, and if you listen to the previous episode, you are probably aware of their current situation. And on top of that, they still need to make almost 2 million worth of room to their cap, so you might expect that they haven't been too busy signing players this offseason. Other than the trades that got mentioned in the previous episode, they've only signed two players, the first one being Riley Smith to a 3-year 5 million extension, and the only free agent signing by them has been Sakari Manninen out of KHL, who was signed to a 1-year minimum cap hit. I'm interested to see how Manninen does on the NHL level, and if he's able to break into their NHL roster because of his size, but that's about it when it comes to Knights. They are still not done dealing and wheeling, so something will happen within the next few weeks, so stay tuned for updates on one of the more hated franchises in the NHL. The Caps, on the other hand, have seen some action during the offseason since, just like the Leafs, they have revamped their crease and their current tandem for the next season in goal is going to be Darcy Kemper and Charlie Lindgren. Kemper was signed to a 5-year, 5.25 contract and Lindgren earned a 3-year, 1.1 million deal for a strong track record from the AHL. They expect Kemper to carry a heavy load in their crease and hope that he will be the fix in net that they've been missing since the departure of Braden Holpe. So next season we will witness if his numbers were bloated because of the defense in front of him, just like happened with Grubauer, or if he is really the real deal at the end of the day. In addition to those guys, they resigned Brett Leeson for the next two years, acquired Eric Gustafsson for the next season with 800k AAV, Marcus Johansson was also extended with one year 1.1 million sheet, Dylan Strong was acquired from the free agent list with one year 3.5 million deal to probably secure their second slash third line center spot if Beckstrom is going to be out long term. And the last two deals went to Matt Irwin and Henrik Borgström, who was bought out by the Blackhawks this year. And both got similar 750k sheets for the next year. Unfortunately, even with their newest addition in goal, I believe that the Caps are going to face a challenging year since, even before the season starts, we know that Beckström is going to be out because of his hip problem. And his whole career is currently in doubt because of his injury, while few others from their top lines have been battling with injuries recently, so once again, I emphasize same thing as I said before the last season. Injuries might bring this team down, and partly, we saw that last year, but yet again, their stars are year older and their joints ain't getting younger, so I don't want to jinx anything, but just like the Pens, this team is flirting with the edge, and It might only be a matter of time once the other foot crosses that line and the survival struggle begins. In addition to that, they currently are over 6 million over the cap ceiling, so some cap gymnastics have to be performed before the first puck drop. I will leave rest of the speculation for the season preview, but all in all, pretty divisive moves by them in my point of view. I expect great things from Kemper, but when it comes to Johansson, for example, I would have left him unsigned since the tank seems to be pretty empty when it comes to his contribution for the team. But then we finally arrived to the last team of this episode, the Winnipeg Jets, who have had quite a silent off-season signing-wise thus far, and only four players have been signed by them during the summer. 
David Riddick was the first guy to get signed as he was inked to a one-year 900k deal. And the only reasonable explanation for his signing is that they are betting on his comeback. But if you would ask me, they will be there waiting until the next offseason arrives because he has really fell from the face of the earth when it comes to his numbers. So not only is this a major downgrade from Eric Comrie, who had a stellar season in Winnipeg last year, this is just a catastrophe waiting to happen. So they just need to tell Hellebuck that he's going to play every game apart from Chicago and Arizona and they'll be all good but other than that to me this was one of the worst signings of this offseason but after that debacle they signed their second free agent in Carl Capobianco who was inked to a two-year deal and then came the two extensions one for Jensen Harkins two years 850k and one for Pierre-Luc Dubois one year 6 million AAV who is still waiting to get signed by the Habs. I think you can calculate the outcome of their offseason so far. They have still time to improve their forward core before the next season starts, so at least I'm expecting some changes if they want to fight for a playoff spot in a tough central division. But that wraps up the moves done during the offseason, but just like I mentioned during the episode, we are far from the end of this free agency period while Some big free agents are still remaining on loose and some teams need to find room to their cap space so a lot of movement can be still expected before the start of the next NHL season. The big free agents that still remain on the block include Nazem Kadri as the big fish, Patrice Bergeron who will be signed by the Bruins if he decides to come back for one more year, Phil the Ironman Kessel, Paul Stasny, Evan Rodriguez, Sonny Milano, Sam Gagné, Tyler Ennis, Anthony Strollman, Alex Jason, P.K. Subban, Jonathan Dahlin, Johan Larsson, Victor Rask, Alex Galchenyuk, Daniel Sprong, Sam Steele, Jack Aston Reese, Tyler Mott, Calvin DeHaan, and a bunch of other veterans who will find their spots eventually before the season starts. Also, there are still multiple RFAs unsigned, so we will see a few bucks flying around in the coming weeks. And if some GM gets a real brain cramp, we could see another offer sheet, but that probably isn't the first thing to happen. But we won't count out that option until all the remaining RFAs have been signed to extensions. Another big episode under the wraps, and as I stated in the beginning of this episode, these might end up being quite uneventful or even tiring episodes to listen, but It is my obligation to spread the knowledge to you so that you don't need to surf the internet and tire yourself out while trying to find all the details of these deals. Guess I will do the heavy lifting for you. These episodes are for the real ones who either are out of their mind and remain until the end while listening to me rambling about these deals or you are as big of an NHL nerd as I am and you want to hear all the details when it comes to best hockey league in the world. Well, either way, I really, really appreciate you being here and thank you for your continuous support. It means a lot to me and gives me the energy to keep this thing going. Not that the whole process is depending on you, but fact of the matter is that you are part of this journey and I thank you for supporting it by being present. I think I've said enough for this week and as the last note I want to tell you that I'm going to take a few weeks off to spend some time with the family and freshen up my mind by taking some kind of summer break in the midst of the grimy off season. 
I might end up making an episode for the U20s to cover the most exciting prospects representing their country before the tournament is over, but don't expect to see new episode each week for the next couple of weeks. You will be informed through my social media if an episode is going to be published, so keep an eye out for new posts. But that's all for this week. I hope you really enjoyed and I can only hope that we still see some sunshine before the mighty fall arrives in front of us. Thank you once again for listening. I really can't even thank you enough for sticking with me. But I hope that it comes across as I mean it. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.